Grace Church, good to see you. Uh, welcome. If you're new, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, welcome online. Those of you that couldn't join us in person, you're missing out, but we love that you're online as well. Um, well, we have been in a series. It's been a vision series. How many of you guys have been here the past four weeks? It's a four-week series. Uh, most of you just don't want to raise your hands. I get it. Five weeks ago, we uh, were in the book of Mark. If you're new or new recently, uh, we typically are going through an entire book, the book of the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. And so we've been going uh, through that, and we're going to dive back into Mark today. So I'm excited for that. But if you missed our vision series, if you're like, what is this church all about? Well, we we covered that in our vision series, so go back and watch. Um, But if you have questions about it, you have questions about the series, the church, um, the weather, stock market, whatever, email josh at gracesd.com, and he would be happy to answer all of your questions. Uh, Last week he did that to me, so I got to do it back to him. That's how that works around here. Um, But welcome. Uh, I'm excited. We're going to turn your Bibles to Mark 9. We're going to dive in and start in verse 14. We're going to cover 14 to 29, and we're going to be there in just a minute. But it was five weeks ago we were in the book of Mark. So I just want to give us a little synopsis of what that was and how it relates to our verses and our scripture and our passage today. Uh, That, those uh, scriptures, the first 13 verses in Mark 9 is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. And you'll remember, you'll remember this was Jesus and his kind of inner circle of the inner circle. Out of the 12, there were three that he hung out the most, hung out with the most, Peter, James, and John. And so they went hiking up this mountain, and it was on top of this mountain, something amazing happened, and some of you will remember this. Uh, He was transformed, transfigured, and the glory of God shone through uh, the Son, Jesus, in this moment. There's a lot that went into it, not going to explain everything. There was Elijah showed up, and Moses was hanging out, and they had a conversation, and uh, Peter loved him. He's like, I don't know what's happening. Can I build a tent? And she's like, nah, let's go down the mountain. And so they start walking down. And then that's where our verses pick up, and that's where our passage um, uh, comes to fruition. And so we're going to start by reading verses 14 to 18, and I want you to follow along with me. It'll be on the screen as well. It says this, as they come down the mountain and they join the other nine, it says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes were arguing with them. They were arguing with the disciples. Immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he, Jesus, asked to the disciples, what are you arguing about with them, with the scribes, these religious leaders? And someone from the crowd called out, and he answered and said, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, And he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the spirit. And they were unable to. They were not able. And I want to pause here for a moment. And start looking at this a little closely. Again, Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down. And you can imagine their excitement, right? That this mountaintop experience that was just amazing. I mean, Jesus is already uh, unraveling and unleashing the kingdom of God here on earth, and there are front row seats of what, what Jesus is doing here on earth. And then not only that, he takes three of them, and he goes up the mountain, and he really shows who he truly is, and God's glory shows through Christ, shows through the Messiah. 
But then when they come down and Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone yet. It's not time for people to truly know who I am. And so they come down and Jesus says that. And then they walk straight into town, meet up with the other disciples, and they walk straight into drama. These scribes, they're law keepers, they're religious leaders of the day. They're, they're Jewish religious leaders that are, uh, uh, are really leaders of the church. And they start arguing with the disciples. And it's safe to say that they're arguing with their inability, the disciples' inability to cast out this spirit or this demon. And for the scribes, all of the religious leaders at that time, they're looking to catch Jesus in something, to prove him wrong, that he is not who the rumors say that he is. And so this would be a gotcha moment for them. See, your disciples can't do it. So I imagine they're arguing back and forth, and there's the crowd around, and then there's, there's this father. There's this desperate father, and he describes this horrific, desperate thing that's happening, this situation with his son. And in verse 18, as he's describing it, Every single verb is present tense, which means not only has this been happening since he was born, but it's currently happening. So I can just feel the desperation from this father. He doesn't know what to do. In this moment, the disciples, they couldn't heal the boy. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why couldn't they remove this evil spirit? And if you remember, if you've been here for a little bit or have read the book of Mark, you remember in Mark 6 where Jesus basically deputizes them and he sends them out two by two and he sends them out with the authority and power to do just this very thing, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to cast out evil spirits. He gives them authority and power to do that, but in this moment, they couldn't. It speaks about the same thing in, in Matthew 10, the, this type of, uh, these miracles and the, dis- the disciples and apostles' ability continues on in the future from uh, Acts 8 Apostle Paul in Acts 16, other places it shows up in the first century church where it's not just Jesus, but the, the followers, the apostles and disciples are able to perform these miracles. But sandwiched in between, in between it did happen in the past and it does happen in the future, is this moment in time where they're just not able to. They can't do it. This time was different. They couldn't have and they didn't have the strength and the power that they've had in the past and they'll have in the future. And so we, we, could, we could look at them and we could judge them in a moment, but I want to relate this to us because I know that in our lives, if you call yourself a Christian, you're just like aching for God to intervene, right? You want God's spiritual power to intervene when you're going through something. We all go through seasons that are difficult and situations that are beyond our capability and we need him. And we know that what it means to be a human being is to know the human limitations that we have. Humans can do some cool stuff, but we're always going to be limited. But the disciples, they're learning, just like we are. They're learning how to truly follow this Messiah. But there's something that goes wrong, and we're going to find out why. In verse 19, it says, He, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Like, bring this boy to me. And I love that because Jesus is, like, frustrated. And I love that he's frustrated because I feel like a lot of us think he's like Mr. Rogers, right? He's like this nice guy. We want to be friends and hold hands and everything's great. 
But Jesus, is, is, he's a real human. He's fully God and fully man. And in this moment, his humanity comes in, and he is frustrated at the disciples. But notice what he's frustrated at. He's not frustrated at their lack of power. He's not frustrated at the fact that they failed in this moment. It says, oh, faithless generation. He is frustrated at their lack of faith. He's saying, disciples, you don't get it. You're not having any faith in this moment. And that is the reason. That's the reason this didn't happen. That's the reason you failed. And he just didn't isolate that to them. He zooms it out and said, oh, faithless generation, the generation of that day, everybody, all of us, and all of us today, we struggle with our faith. And the issue is here, and it's upon us, and our faith, every single day, we struggle with this thing. But to take it further, this issue of doubt isn't just an issue of doubt. It's an issue of self-reliance, because in this moment, they believed more in themselves than trusting and depending upon God. And so in this crazy moment where they thought they could do it, and perhaps, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that because they did it before, maybe they thought they could just do it again, and they didn't quite need the power of God in that moment because they had done it before. But I want to say that our faith as Christians should be less dependent on our own abilities, on ourselves and our circumstances. And it needs to be placed and rooted and founded in who God is. And they forgot that. In this moment, at least, they forgot that. The other day, uh, I was here at the office. I was walking across the parking lot. And there's uh, this girl that heads up one of our ministries here at Grace. And she was here setting some stuff up, and, she, and I said, hey, how's it going? You know, she's leading kind of this effort. And she said, well, to be honest, I'm pretty overwhelmed. And she goes, Scott, like, you've, you've led in this space for a long time. How do you do it? And I wanted to just say, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. She's trying to figure it out, too. But uh, I gave her my answer. But that question stuck with me the entire week. It stayed with me because I think it's a very real question, and I think that this passage that we're dealing with today, we're going to see the answer come out. So let's keep on reading. In verse 20, it says this, and they brought the boy to him, to Jesus, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground, he rolled around, he rolled about, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked his father, the, man, the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can do this, have compassion on us and help us. What a crazy question or what a crazy statement he's saying. The father says, if you can do anything, like if you really can do that, you can hear the doubt in that statement. You can just hear it. He questions Jesus. And as soon as we start judging him, this is, we are the father in the story. At least in this moment, we are the father because he's reactionary, right? And I feel it. I'm a father. If something's going on with my boys, like, I, I would be desperate too. He is in complete, he's destroyed. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how he's going to help. Is he going to help? I don't know. And he's freaked out in this moment. So, of course, he questions Jesus. And I think we would, we would respond the same. Listen. I don't know where you come from or what your faith background is, but, you're, but faith and doubt is a part of Christian living. It's a part of our walk continually with God. And we have faith in all kinds of things, and we have doubts in all kinds of things too. Like, 
we do. We have faith in ourselves sometimes. We have faith in other people, our, our kids or our coworkers. We have faith that they're going to come through. If you're not from San Diego, we have faith in sports teams. Like, we can't have faith in our teams, apparently. Uh, I was just in Idlewild. I got up. I got back last night. We have a family cabin there. And the weather app said it was going to be cold. And I got up there, and it was warm and hot. And it made me mad. I'm like, bring on the scented candles. Let's do this thing. Let's get corny. I wanted the fall weather, and it just didn't happen. Weather app sucks, you guys. Like, you definitely can't have faith. It's just never right. I just wanted to say that. We have a lot of doubt in a lot of things. I remember when my boys were really young. I have three boys. And my youngest, Max, he's 10 now. But when he was young, each one of them I did this with. But I remember with Max, because I'm getting old and he's the youngest, so yeah. Um, But he would be like in a diaper. And I would hold him and I'd bring him out in the waves. And I would do this all the time. But every single time he'd get like freaked out. Like, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, you think I'm going to drop you, like, on purpose? Like, is that going to happen? But over and over again, I would take him out to the waves, and we get a little deeper every single time. And the kid would just, like, latch onto me, and I'd have these marks, and he'd just, like, his nails go in me. I'm like, dude, let's clip your nails, and then let's worry about your fear later. But he was so terrified, and no matter how many times I would reassure him, it never helped. Like, he, I, I don't know if he just didn't believe me. But I'm like, dude, we've done this before. I'm not going to let you go. Trust me. Like, I got you. But Max never, ever believed me. (laughs) He always had doubt. But I feel like that is us. That's us with God. We constantly question him. We constantly have doubt. Even when we don't admit it, we do. And I don't know if Max doubted that, like, I can. Like, he's getting old. He can't do this anymore. Or that I would again right? And similarly, I wonder if some of us, sometimes we question and we don't quite know if God can or God will, right? So whatever the circumstance and situation is, can God? Does he have the ability to bring me out of this situation? And that's some of us. It's not all of us. Some of us have been Christians for a long time. We've seen God do amazing things. So you're like, that's not quite me. I'm not in that bucket, right? I don't question God's ability, but I do question if God will, and that's fair, right? Like, that's a fair question, because sometimes we're praying for someone. We're praying for someone to be healed. We're praying for a new job. We're praying for whatever it is, and God doesn't quite show up the way we thought he would, or to us, doesn't show up at all. So we definitely can question whether he will. But I want to say this. When we doubt God can, we doubt his ability, and when we, got, when we doubt God will, we doubt his character. Now, whether he does or doesn't do that thing, he does know your need. And his promises are true, and he is faithful God. So we need to trust him. And in this moment, I, I, I just don't know. The father is so desperate, he can't see past himself. He can't see past his, his circumstance. And some of us are the same. Some of us do that. And so we doubt, we question We don't know what to do with our faith. How does Jesus respond to doubt like this? Let's see. In verse 23, he says this. Jesus said to him, if you can, (laughs) like the the father says, if you can, have compassion. And Jesus repeats it back. Like, if if you can, like, of course I can. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately, the father of a child, he cries out. And he says, I believe but help my unbelief, 
right? He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And this is us. This is you and I. This is all of us. We struggle with doubt in all kinds of ways and in all kinds of things. Inside the church, we do this too. Outside the church, we fill the gap with all, we see the world doing this. We fill the gap with self-help, like there's that favorite podcast. I listen to them too. They're kind of cool. They make you feel good. It's great. But we get motivated by that. We dive ourselves into work. We get codependent on other people. We fill the gap of doubt with other things from the world that the world offers. And then inside the church, we get kind of weird sometimes, right? We'll offer these anecdotal truths and just pluck them out of scripture and say, hey, fix your life, fix your life. Or we get everything is an emotion and it's just this constant contrived emotional state we need to be in and we need to feel God's presence because we don't quite know that he's there. And so we oscillate between these two extremes and everywhere in between. And at the same time, we just kind of need to admit, like, I'm kind of faking it, right? Like, I, I, why is it so hard for us to just admit that we struggle in our faith, it shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't be this hard. But we do. We pretend. We fake it. And we're not fooling anybody. So I especially want to say to the college, if you're in college, the youth were here, and I said the same thing. Like if you come to a church service and throughout your, your, your years and you're figuring out who you are and your classes and all these things, you're figuring out what you're going to do for the rest of your life, you don't need to come and put a face on. You don't need to fake it. Like God already knows. He knows exactly where you're at. Just be real. Just be authentic. Like, your parents don't have it all together either. I'm sorry, parents. You don't. I'm just being real. That's all of us, though. Like, if you think I got it figured out, I don't. I need to constantly go to God and just say what the Father said. I believe. But Jesus, can you help my own belief? Like, you can't get more real and authentic than that. And that is us. And we need to do that constantly. We swirl around in our Christian lives and go to church and go to small group, our house church, and you know, all these things, and we put on this face like we have it all together, but what if, what if you just said to your house church this week, like, I'm struggling with my faith in this area. I'm struggling to trust him or to believe that he can or maybe that he will. Could you help me? Could you pray for me? And if we won't do that, because I, I know that that's hard, maybe at least you'll go to God himself in private, in prayer, and say, I believe, but help my own belief. Maybe that should be our confession. Just like the father confessed it and he cried out to Jesus out of desperation. Maybe we need to be that desperate and we need to say those words. I believe, but help my unbelief. Please help me. How can we do this? And isn't that kind of a weird statement? I believe, but help my own belief. Like those things do live together. They really, really do. Like, how, how is that possible? Because we could believe in one area of our life. We could believe in the gospel. We know intellectually, experientially, we read the scripture, it comes alive, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We know that Jesus died for our sins and we, we want to do this. We want to live for him. But at the very same time, we doubt God. And we go back and forth from believing and unbelief and, and being reassured and having this assurance and having doubt and we go back and forth all the time. But I'm here to tell you, like, this is the Christian life. Like, not great news maybe, but this is what it means to live with Christ on earth as human beings. And so maybe 
We just need to get real about it. We need to get authentic about it and say, God, could you take it all? Like, this is all of me. I have strength in faith a lot of the times. And sometimes I just feel like I don't even know where you are. I don't even know what you're doing. I don't even hear your voice. Why can't we be that real? Because God isn't afraid of that. He's not afraid of those statements. He's not afraid of your doubt. And in fact, he welcomes that. He wants that from you. Because that is your true and authentic self coming to God and saying, sometimes I get it, but a lot of times I don't get it. Sometimes I believe, but in certain areas, I truly, truly, I just don't believe. Will you help me? I believe, but help my unbelief. And it's hard. It's not easy. This level of confession, that confession requires exposure. It requires vulnerability. But Jesus is inviting you to that because you're draw- you have to draw yourself to him. And I would even say that that lack of faith, when you bring it to him, it's an opportunity for God to work. It's an opportunity for God's glory to show himself in your life, his spiritual power to come alive because it's your, it, it brings you to this place where you see your greatest need and you say, okay, I need you. I need you. Help my own belief. I need your help and I need you to help me in this area. And it's these moments like, if you haven't had one of those moments in a while, you need to. Because it's real. And if you're like, yeah, I don't struggle with my faith, you're a liar. Like, that's just not real. I know you because you're human, just like me. And we struggle. Don't lie to yourself. And especially don't lie to God. Bring your doubt to God. Bring your unbelief to me. And just say, I believe. But Jesus, help my unbelief. The disciples, they got it wrong in this moment because they didn't, br- he didn't bring that. They weren't in that space to admit that, to confess that. They were self-reliant. They were depending upon themselves. And maybe that's some of you today. Maybe it's hard for you to admit your lack of faith. I don't know. Maybe there's certain areas in your life where God's off limits because you feel like you don't need him there. You need him in the hard stuff. Over here, I got it. Over here, I don't. So Jesus, I'll use you over here, but I can't use you over here because I'm too good at this thing. Like, what are the areas in your life where you're just not bringing it to him and saying, I don't have it all together. Maybe I'm doing good in this area, but I constantly, constantly need you, Jesus. Will you help me? And there's still some that feel like they don't need him until they do. Let's keep reading. In verse 25, and when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus, Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples and him went back into this house. The disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And then Jesus says something I want us to pay attention to. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some of your Bibles say prayer and fasting, but prayer. This is the fourth time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus cast out a demon. And, I mean, we could have gone there and talked about casting out demons and the spiritual, everything, all that stuff, the implications of that. But I, there's so many rich truths in this. I wanted us to see what was happening here. 
this issue of doubt. He's saying that prayer, prayer, there's something significant about prayer in your life as a Christian and our life as a church. Prayer is the link. He's saying you couldn't do it. You can't do anything without prayer. And for you as a Christian, you need it like you need to breathe. It requires, the, the Christian life requires that of you. The prayer is the link to the power that they did not have. They hadn't been praying, apparently. They hadn't been praying because prayer brings you close to Jesus. Closeness to Jesus brings strength and faith. And strength and faith unleashes God's power. There's something amazing about that equation that if we could just get, but it's so difficult to understand. It's so difficult for us to do. It becomes like almost counterintuitive to us. But prayer is that bridge between a lack of faith and strength in faith. And we can believe and not be connected at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm married. I've been married for 14 years. I believe I'm married. I have a certificate. She just watched me online. She texted me. Like, I believe that, that I'm married to Susan. But if I stop talking to her, we're going to be completely disconnected. And she'll probably yell at me if I don't talk to her. I don't want that. She's from New Jersey. That's not good. But the same is true with your relationship with Jesus. We operate in this like one-sided relationship where your relationship with God, your Christianity is going to church and going to house church. That's not it. Every single day, we have to be in connection with God. He's just sitting there saying, why won't you talk to me? If you're not in prayer every single day, you're missing the power of God because you're missing the connection God will give you. We need to be plugged in. We need to be connected with our Savior in order to enjoy him and to know him and to have that prayer or that power. Tim, Kill Tim Keller says this, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. So while the Christian life has this tension and struggle where our faith is strong in some seasons and in some areas, and then in some other seasons and areas, everything seems to go wrong, and so our faith falls apart, right? Pandemic showed us that. A lot of our circumstances will show us that. But what I'm saying is that in every single season, when we bring whatever faith, wherever we're at in our faith to God, and we use it to connect with him, we're, we're that vulnerable and say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. He will strengthen your faith. We need to just humble ourselves and say, help me. And we need to sit with him. It's a beautiful place to be. It's a beautiful thing when we can just wake up in the morning and sit and be quiet with Jesus and put our phone over there and just say, God, here's what's going on in my life. Will you help me? And then just shut up and let him talk to you. And you say, God, I love you. And just sit there and receive his love in silence. It's a powerful thing. And I, I know exactly the days that I don't do that, I know the way my day's going to turn out. I know I'm going to be moody. I'm a moody guy. I know that I'll be trusting myself more when I don't connect with the Father. I know that I'll be trusting him when I do. Because when you just sit with Jesus and you grow your intimacy with him, and it's awkward at first, but you just push through the awkwardness. And after a while, you just say, I love this. I love this. He's ministering to me. I'm crying out to him. He knows what I'm going through, and he cares. He knows when I'm desperate. He knows when I'm doing good. And in every single season, I say, I believe. 
but Jesus, would you help my unbelief? You know, I loved our vision series. I loved everything that was shared. Last week, what Pastor Josh shared, we've been thinking about, talking about, and praying over for months, right? And a lot of you got so excited, because I know you emailed me. I think I got back to everybody. But you emailed me, and we're talking about it. And we're going to make plans, and we're going to ask God to bless it. But I'm telling you something. None of it is going to be a blessing to the city and the community. None of it is going to have the impact for the gospel that it should if we aren't soaking it and bathing it in prayer. If we're not saying, God, this is about you. It's not about us. Would you help us? Help our unbelief. If we're not doing that, then it'll become about us and not about him. We need to do that in every single areas of our life. So maybe we need to take a cue from the Father, from this desperate, humbled, hysterical dad just crying out. We need to word his confession in our lives. I believe, but Jesus, help my own belief. And maybe you need to ask yourself, how comfortable are you with that level of vulnerability? Because God can handle it. He already knows it about you. He just wants to get the real you. Just go to him and say, Jesus, I believe, but would you help my own belief? I can promise you that God can. He can do anything. I can't promise you that God will. I'm not going to be that guy. I think a lot of churches will name it and claim it, and anything I ask, he will. That's not true. It's just not biblical. But I do know that he knows you. He loves you, and he will meet your needs. Maybe not all your wants. Maybe not at the right time. You're right time. Maybe not the way you thought. But he will fill you up. And he will love you if you just bring yourself to him in this way. We need to be a church that does this. We need to be a church of confession. And say, Jesus, we believe. Collectively as grace, we believe. But would you help us? We need your help desperately. Would you help our unbelief? We're struggling And I know that if you do that consistently over and over again, day after day, you will build this resilience inside of you where you're, you're less affected by the circumstances of life. They'll still happen, but you'll say, it's okay, I'm all right. Like, I'm, I, I know what, who God is, and he's here with me. He's gonna walk me through it. It's totally okay. So I wanna bring all this before the Lord in prayer, but as I do, I wanna do something. I wanna spend a moment in silent prayer. And for some of you, that's going to be awkward. And I would just say, bring your confession. Bring your confession to him silently in prayer and say, Jesus, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we confess and repent from the fact that it even gets awkward to sit in silence with you. Why can't we do that? Why can't we slow down and just and say, God, I, I don't have it all together. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I believe in you, but I, I'm struggling. Father, why can't we do that? Help us to repent from that. I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's just, it's fear, it's anxiety. It's, it's that level of vulnerability just is so raw. We're afraid of what that might mean. So God, I know that wherever we're at, wherever each person is at today, I just know that there's areas in all of our lives where we need that confession. We need to say, God, I believe, but would you help me? Help my unbelief. Maybe it's at work where there's just areas that you just, you feel like you're falling apart and you desperately need God, but you haven't confessed that yet. So confess it right now and just say, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? Maybe it's when you get home after a long day and you're exhausted and you're ready to escape. You don't want to connect with the family. You want to go off and do your own thing. And you need to confess, I believe, but help my unbelief. Would you help me in that space? Whether it's finances or friends or family or whatever it is, God, we confess. We believe, but we desperately need your help. Would you help our unbelief? Father, we lay all this at your feet and we just say, here I am, I'm exposed, I'm vulnerable, this is weird and hard. But I know that you love me and so I will love you and I will receive your love. And Father, may we be a church that has a strength and faith by our ability to just bring our real selves to you. Jesus, help us. We believe, but help our unbelief. We love you, Father. I pray that you would use these, this scripture, this passage for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.